Talk to my friend Drew Lennon. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. Buckle up, friends. This is a, a, a truly a marathon here, this show today. I got so much going through my mind that I want to cover. And don't worry, I will be a consummate professional here, as always, and I will do my utmost best uh, to go through all this with you in a comprehensive and comprehensible way to stay on track here. Uh, I wanted to lead off Vivek Murphy, Vivek Murphy, 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 sorry. You know, the U.S. Surgeon General. Have you seen this guy's picture, by the way? He looks like, well, he's got, <laughs> he's, he's got lips the size of Michelin tires. It's, He's not African-American. It's only racist if you say someone's lips are big if they're black. That's what we learned from from John Gruden's firing. You know, he, he called Maurice Smith uh, a black man's lips. He said they were as big as Michelin tires. I, I'm not talking about a black man here. I'm talking about the U.S. Surgeon General. But he does have lips the size of Michelin tires. Has anyone ever asked, by the way, what What is the point of the U.S. Surgeon General? It's got such a fancy name, U.S. Surgeon General. It's really, it's really a, a nothing position. All, all this Vivek Murphy guy does, all the Surgeon General does any, anymore, they're just a, a spokesperson for the government on public health issues. They don't create policy. They, they really don't do anything. In fact, they report to Health and Human Services, uh, I believe, uh, or another department. Um, so anyway, Murphy, not to be con- confused w- with Murphy, do you realize that this guy, he is a holdover from the Obama administration? This guy's a political pinball. Uh, he was uh, nominated and, and, and uh, approved in the last two years of the Obama administration. So he had only served two years when Donald Trump came into office and Donald Trump replaced him with uh, Jerome Adams, a black man, U.S. Surgeon General. And then, and then what happens? Biden comes into office and he replaces Jerome Adams with Vivek Murphy and appoints him again. So, uh, so Murphy here, Murphy, ah, Murphy. Well, he's come out and he has says it is reasonable to mandate vaccines for children. Do you know how outrageous this whole idea is of vaccinating children? I saw, I saw, it might have been the CDC that came out and said something like, there's a 94% chance that if a child is vaccinated against coronavirus, they won't be hospitalized. Now stop. And think, that sounds so cool, doesn't it? 94% chance 
that a child won't be hospitalized from COVID, but there's a near statistical 100% chance that they will never be hospitalized to begin with from COVID, even if they got it. So there's no reason for them to be vaccinated. I'm curious what this 6 or 7% uh, drop is on the new statistics. Because statistically, they wouldn't be hospitalized without the vaccine. But now if they get the vaccine, there's like a 94%. Which gives you a 6% chance of hospitalization. And it, <laughs> Math is not this administration's strong suit. We all know this. $3.5 trillion costs $0. Right? This is the math of the regime. But Vivek Murphy, this guy's a radical. He's a nut job. Uh, he went to Harvard where a lot of our nut jobs come from. But he's this guy, you know, he organized, I think it was Doctors for America. Doctors for America. You know, that, that, that's a group of political activist doctors that they got together who will, uh, just sign off on whatever the Marxists want, right? Socialized medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctors for America. They say it's good. It's like all these other pathetic groups out there. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, look, look, we have a group of scientists today and doctors, health professionals, if you will, that have all the credit credentials in the world who cannot be trusted, who do not, who do not follow the science whatsoever. I mean, whether it's, you know, the CDC out there, Centers for Disease Control that once you know, applauded the, the, the apparent fact from studies that, you know, getting the vaccine gave, well, it had like a 100% nearly efficacy. And then as the months have gone on, they've had to revise that down well below 50%. These are the supposed alleged doctors that we're supposed to trust. Oh yeah, the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you cannot get or transmit COVID. And then suddenly you get the vaccine and you can get COVID and transmit COVID. This is all just a big grand experiment we're all being a part of. But um, something else came up about Vivek Murphy, thinking about him and where he comes from. Um, do you realize, you know, so he came in, he was serving in the Obama administration. Now he's serving in the Biden administration. And this is something I, I'm sorry that I did not talk about, have not talked about this more. Because the question that gets raised so often, who's running the country? We know it's not Joe Biden. We know it's not Kamala Harris. And we know Jin Psaki. We, we don't, we don't know who's running the country, but it is Obama running the country. I've talked about this too and given the proof based on the policies that are coming out of this administration that are literally the same blueprints that are from the Biden Obama administration. But 75% of Joe Biden's aides, do you know where they come from? They come from the Obama administration. That's right. There are about 100 aides. Look, these aides are the people that are actually making these policies. You know, they're, they're the, the deputy secretaries to the, to this and that, the deputy to the president on the, on the, uh, on foreign policy, on domestic policy, the council of this, the council of that, economic policy, all of these aides, that's what they spearhead. And 74 out of 100 of them, last count, 
they were aides to Barack Obama. So yes, this is Obama's third term. This is Obama's third term. And so what we are witnessing is that third term. So all of the uh, radical transformation. And look, we never really heard that lingo, that language being used, fundamental transformation. That was coined more or less by Barack Obama. I mean, I don't recall that being used at the forefront like it was with Obama. That's at least when that phrase came into my uh, sphere around me where I started to hear it and understand it. And that's what we're experiencing now, this fundamental transformation. We hear Obama talk about it in interviews. I mean, he went on an interview in the midst of COVID, the pandemic, uh, with what's that guy's name, that schmuck? Uh, Klein, Klein, Klein. Ezra, Ezra Klein over at the New York Times. Well, he did, he went on his podcast and he said that, you know, COVID was an opportunity. You know, for what? Transformation. To transform our economy. That was one of the points he made. And that's what we're seeing with COVID. They're trying to radically transform everything in this society. And, well, we're, we're, we, I mean, we're witnessing it right now. I, um, I, I don't know. There's a story out there, and I just want to tell you not to worry about it. All right, there's a story out there that, uh, um, Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin. Well, look, it got put out there earlier today that, oh, Senator Manchin, people have heard he's, he's expressed that he's thinking about leaving the Democrat party and becoming an independent. And I, I looked at that story and I said, what? I mean, I, it goes along with this narrative that there's some fighting that Manchin and Sinema are the only two senators that seem to have any, any, uh, compassion for this country left in terms of being a Democrat, any kind of concern for this country, any just modicum of rational thought and decency. They're the only two. But it came out and I said, I, this is weird. I don't, I don't buy it. And then, and now we have a Senator Manchin's come out and he said, no, I, I've never said that. I'm not saying that. So it doesn't really matter. Um, it doesn't change anything. It's just, it's something, you know, to focus our attention on, but it doesn't mean anything. All right. It doesn't matter. Senator Manchin. I mean, he, he's a senator. He's one of 50 Democrats. Uh, Bernie Sanders, by the way, uh, you know, he, he is, he is independent, but he votes with Democrats, right? I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Manchin's firmly ensconced with the Democrat party. He's not leaving it whatsoever. So just forget about it. But I've been listening to more and more of Jen Psaki. Every day, I mean, it's like nails on on a, on a chalkboard. It really is. Watching her, listening to her pumpkin head, carrot head, carrot top, whatever you want to call her. Uh, she is a sociopath. That is that is very, very clear. I'm going to play a clip in a minute. Not yet. But of her, her response, it just shows how uncompassionate she is, how cold she is. She is. And that, and she does represent and reflect the Democrat party. In many ways, she is actually a really, really great press secretary from the standpoint that, you know, the press secretary is supposed to come out and speak for the president on behalf of the president of the United States and field questions, uh, from the, the press. 
They're supposed to do what the president doesn't always have time to do. And I, I understand that we can't get any answers from her and that it's frustrating and that she is an awful, miserable human being. But she does represent Joe Biden very well, do you not think? He doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't seem to know what's going on. He doesn't care about what's going on. She doesn't seem to care much about what's going on. When he talks, he lies. When she talks, she lies. Because, well, if they ever told the truth, you know, they say that uh, the truth will set you free. Well, you know, if they ever told the truth, I mean, it would set the American people free and put them in prison. And so the truth, they can't speak, possibly. But, but if you want to know how these Democrats think, and what they think of you and me and the American people, you just listen to Jen Psaki every day. She, she, she tells you. And the message is this before I get to the clip. Do you realize how, how expendable Americans are to Democrats? And furthermore, to be a Democrat, just one, one disagreement, one policy issue that you disagree with them on, and you are in their crosshairs. Search and destroy. That becomes the mission of the Democrats. If you dare to part ways on anything. This is the biggest lie perpetrated throughout the last number of decades is that the Democrat Party is the party of tolerance, the party of compassion, the party of, of uh, inclusion, they are none of those things. I mean, I mean, look at this, you know, Vivek Murphy comes in and replaces a black man, Jerome Adams. I thought we celebrated the success of minorities, the success of black individuals. Which brings me to another point about the Democrat Party, since we're talking about them, because it's important that the American people understand who they are. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Although their fangs are, are, are showing quite strongly. And the, it's reflected in Biden's approval numbers, of course, as well. Tanking, tanking, tanking. They just keep getting lower and lower and lower. I think last I saw it was at 30%, 37% approval. But don't you ask yourself this? Who are the 37% that approve of this president and this administration? How are there 37? I mean, some might say that's optimistic. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not calling you out. I mean, look, I mean, it, it's, it's staggering his drop of approval. I mean, especially when you think about the fact that this guy got 81 million votes. Joe Biden was the most popular president in American history. And now he's the least popular president in American history, perhaps. But 37%. Amidst everything going on, I mean, you would, you would hope that, I mean, if, if we really, had a, had a really, uh, strong society. You know, if America was really poised for success, if we were really grounded in sanity, righteousness, well, his approval would be like 5%. 5%. I, I can stomach 5% of, of ignoramuses out there. You're always going to have them. Um, but 37%, 30, yeah, 37%, whatever the number was I just said. I mean, that, that's a lot of, that's a lot of insane people in this country. 37%. And that's the thing too, you know, we used to just label these people, these, these pronouners and these, uh, you know, science deniers that, that believe that men can become women and women can become men, uh, just with a scalpel or not even a scalpel, just, uh, some lipstick. Um, 
well, we used to call them these, these, you know, kooks, radical kooks on the fringe, you know? Ah, you always got those people, but that's who the Democrat Party is today. And, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of the things that's hard to stomach and deal with today, of course, is the acknowledgement that anyone could be a Democrat anymore. I'm not saying the Republican Party's perfect. They're not. And I'll, I, I'll rip into them soon, too, because with this illegal immigration stuff, they're complicit in this. They've allowed this to happen as well. But, I mean, the Democrat Party, I mean, what's this woman's name? Rachel? Rachel, uh, you know, I'm talking about this new, um, uh, hang on, hang tight. Yes, I've got a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, Rachel Levine, right? You, you know about Rachel Levine. Well, she was sworn in as the nation's first transgender four-star officer. Uh, but that's not what the left is saying. The left is saying, you know, the first woman to serve. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, when you, when you go and give a speech at Harvard and they give you an honorary degree, even though you didn't actually go through the school there. You know, I, I, I can, I can live with that. Okay. Whatever. I mean, those degrees are meaningless anyway. In fact, a degree from these elite institutions is basically just, uh, uh, well, it's your, it's your ticket. It's your, your patch that tells people and signals to them that you're woke, that you don't know history and that you hate America. That's what it means when you come from these schools today, but whatever. But Dr. Rachel Levine, right? So she, she's the, the highest ranking official of the U.S. Public Health Service. Um, and so, so, so the left says that, you know, now she's the, the, uh, First female four-star admiral. Uh, this person, uh, if you looked at him when she looked, when he looked, do you see how hard this is? They're screwing up the language in this country. But Rachel Levine, a man then, a man still, now just uglier than he used to be with weird long hair, wearing women's clothes and ugly glasses. So basically he just became uglier. But, um... Anyway, he's never served in the military. And this person is a, a admiral, uh, a four-star officer. And uh, let's just be clear. Uh, this is not true. They are lying. The Democrat Party is claiming that that a man in women's clothes is the first woman, female. I, I can't. I'm actually confused because you can say one, but you can't say the other. I don't know what's appropriate. You can say female or woman. I think female's verboten, but you can say woman. I, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, she is not the first female because she is a he. Uh, what we actually have is the first mentally ill uh, individual uh, to become a, well, certified uh, mental illness uh, to become a four-star admiral or whatever the, the position is here. But I digress. Um, I want to play the clip of Jin Psaki, uh, and then we'll get into th this Democrat party again and how, how evil they are, how evil they are. And I mean that. I don't say that lightly. They are evil. And so now we will play the Jin Psaki clip, and then we'll talk about it. She's being prompted by a reporter who's asking about the supply chain crisis. All these Americans who can't get furniture, they can't get this and that, the shelves are bare. Uh, and then you'll hear what she has to say. 
As, as the sort of work to fight back against COVID proceeded, people, it was, it was crystal clear that things were not improving on supply chain. People couldn't get dishwashers and, and furniture and treadmills delivered on time, not to mention all sorts of other things. So why the is it... The tragedy of the short, the treadmill that's delayed. Right, the treadmill, right, probably. There you have her, the tragedy of the treadmill that's delayed. That is her snide little comment about a very real crisis that is, <clears throat> that is affecting Americans all across this country without any accountability whatsoever, without any real solution or fix or effort even to fix this problem and make sure that American businesses aren't destroyed because they actually have things to sell. This isn't, again... This isn't about the American who can't get his or her treadmill. This is about American business owners, more importantly, who don't have goods to sell. And if they can't sell their goods, they can't pay their rent. They can't pay their salaries. They can't pay their employees. And so these businesses, especially coming up on this busy holiday season in which they depend upon American consumerism, to make up for a large portion of their business for the entire year. Well, they're not going to be able to earn any money because they're not going to have any goods to sell. And that's the real tragedy of all this. The middle class is going to face further crisis, further destruction. These, these, these individuals who own these, these small businesses are going to be wiped out. And she just has to say this comment. Oh, yes, the tragedy of the treadmill. Oh, you can't get a treadmill. Too bad. I mean, it's not that she's just economically illiterate. It's that she doesn't have an ounce of compassion in her body. And this is what I mean when I, when I ask you the question. Do you realize how expendable Americans are to the Democrat Party? Again, sociopaths. Now, I came across a story today about a uh, PE teacher at a high school in Connecticut. Um, so his name is Kasim Outlaw. <laughs> I love his name, Kasim Outlaw. He's, he's black, by the way. So he's a PE teacher. He's, he's been a PE teacher for over a decade at this high school in Connecticut. And look, look, this guy, by the way, he's an advocate of holistic health. He's a plant-based vegan which means he's not destroying the climate. He's not eating burgers that come from cows whose flatulation is creating cold, hurricanes, rain, heat, tornadoes. He's protecting the environment. I mean, these are things that I thought the left was supposed to adore. I mean, this guy may even use one square of toilet paper at a time in the bathroom. I, I don't know, but I'm just saying this guy checks the boxes of leftists I, this is not me. I'm not attacking this guy, by the way. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the incredulous, all right? But this guy, a, he's black. He's a, he's a PE teacher uh, at a high school, uh, holistic, plant-based vegan. I mean, this guy is a, he's like, he's the, 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 you know, Democrat dream. He, he might even vote Democrat. I, I don't know, but I'm just saying he checks all these boxes that they're into. He's the type of man that, you know, we're all supposed to admire. 
So 15 plus years, I think it is, he's been doing this job or at least working as a teacher. He was teacher of the year, by the way. I think it was 2020 or 2020, 2019. I don't know which year, but he was teacher of the year recently at Lyman Hall High School where he worked. And now he's on leave. He's not going to be paid and he's facing being fired because why? He doesn't want to get the vaccine. He's healthy. He believes in holistic medicine, which means, you know, obesity is what's putting most of these people in hospitals because of COVID. And he's taking care of his health. He's responsible. And that's how he wants to live his life. And this is what I mean. If you don't tick every new box added that the Democrat party puts in front of you, you're dead to them. You're expendable to them. So this guy, this teacher, Kasim Outlaw, is now probably going to be fired if he does not get vaccinated, which is against what he believes for himself. And again, this guy is not an anti-vaxxer and they never are. This is a stupid discussion to even have to have every time. But he makes decisions about his own personal health. And now he's going to lose his job, his livelihood, and his career because of it. Because the Democrat Party says, hey, the narrative is this. We got to get vaccinations for everybody. You got to get vaccinated or you get fired. And he says, ho, 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 wait a, wait a minute. I'm a PE teacher. I've studied this stuff. I've decided that for me, you know, maybe the adverse effects that could potentially be experienced by me are greater than if I even got COVID. And so this guy, vegan, environmentalist, one TP square at a time, Democrat maybe, well, that's not even enough anymore. He still is going to be punished and destroyed by the left because their latest thing is the vaccine mandates and he's not down with that. And so he's expendable. But I got other stories here too. I mean, in and out of San Francisco, you know, I, I have a story here, in and out Now, in and out you know, you talk to a Californian and they, they swear by in and out um, They talk about in and out like, you know, somebody from a graduate of Oklahoma University, you know, how, how they talk about the Sooners. I mean, they just love it. It's their number one fast food chain. They're proud. Proud of in and out Proud that it, it was based here in California, I believe. But nonetheless, I've got a story here now from Vice News. Vice News. Not a very nice news organization. Uh, they're leftists. Here's the headline. In In-N-Out, In-N-Out refuses to be vaccination police and move against mandate. Subheadline. Are their burgers really that good anyway? I mean, what kind of, what kind of dim-witted, uh, puerile, recent college grad wrote this? Are their burgers really that good anyway? I mean, in this article, this writer goes on, he says, In-N-Out just gave people from California one more reason to shut up about how it's the best fast food chain in the world. But you, you, you know what Vice thought about these burgers, In-N-Out burgers back in 2014? Here's the headline back in 2014 from Vice. In-N-Out burger might be too good to be true. They go on in this article, they talk about Eric Schlosser. He's the guy who wrote Fast Food Nation. Uh, so this guy was a kind of, I mean, he's against. He's a vocal opponent of fast food and what it does. Uh, but even he told the New York Times back in 2002, it isn't health food, that is in and out food, but it's food with integrity. It's the real deal, Schlosser said. And so, you know, Vice is talking about how wonderful in and out was back then. 
But now what's changed? Oh, okay. Well, they're not down for totalitarianism. And that's the real ingredient uh, that makes a leftist mouthwater. You know, that, that, that's better. You know, the, the, before it was fine, but now that they're not showing themselves as tyrants going along with this discriminatory practice being proposed by the Democrats and the Biden regime, well, now all of a sudden, are their burgers really that good anyway? So now they hate In-N-Out. And this, of course, is in reference to the fact that an In-N-Out in San Francisco, well, their indoor dining has been forced closed by the city there because In-N-Out refuses to be the vaccination police. They refuse to discriminate against people because it's wrong morally. And so In-N-Out is actually making a stand. And we're seeing a lot of this Southwest Airlines. Uh, they've t- moved back, retracted their, their kind of uh, rollout of their policy that is demanding vaccination because, you know, people are, are suffering. And so it's nice to see in this kind of bleak landscape of hopelessness that we have some real giants out there, corporations even, on our side. And it's not even our side. When I say our side, I mean America's side. The American side, the side of freedom. But this is why these people are so dangerous. This is why Democrats are dangerous. They demand 100% obedience and agreement at all times. Totalitarians they are, says Yoda. If you disagree with them, they destroy you. They aren't open-minded. They aren't tolerant. This is the greatest lie, again, about the Democrat Party. Look at Dave Chappelle. Just to continue with this cancel culture, which is communism. Dave Chappelle. So, you know, Netflix ran the special, the newest comedy special with him. And he's a comedian. He says at some point in his thing that, you know, basically, you know, there's male and female. So he, he states actually a fact. But you can't say this. Because, you know, the, the insane are, are running the insane asylum. We have to bend the knee to them when they need to be taking a shot of rationality and truth in their own arms. But they want to come, and that's what we have proliferating in this country, this virus that's really deadly, which is amorality, nonsense. But anyway, Ted Sarandos, here's an example of a man, a small, small, weak man. Ted Sarandos, one of the uh, co-owners, CE, whatever the position is there, one of the top Top brass there at um, at Netflix. Well, he, he came out in defense of Dave Chappelle earlier on. And in fact, he actually sent an, an internal memo. Uh, what did he say? He sent an internal memo to the employees there. And a staff email, I guess you'd call it. And he said he didn't think trans people were in danger because of Chappelle's comedy. They're not in danger because of Chappelle's comedy, but that, that's what he said. And so now they've come after him. Uh, they threatened to walk out. They, they had a protest today. It was originally said there was going to be 100 people protesting Netflix, employees of Netflix protesting. Well, a few dozen showed up. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the threat was enough to get Tandor, Ted Sarandos to crumble. So he went on Variety and did an interview, and he apologized. He said he screwed up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I should have led with more humanity. These people, these people, these, these insane psychopaths, well, they're feeling hurt and pain from Netflix airing the offensive Chappelle special, he says. 
Now, he hasn't taken it off Netflix yet, but he's going and he's bowing down, getting on all fours and apologizing to this mob of crazy people. And these people are arguing that that trans people are in danger because of Chappelle's comedy. These people are the most protected class in America. Try being unvaccinated. Try being a firefighter, a police officer. Try being, being, uh, uh, you know, Kasim outlaw. Try being any member of the Trump family. Try being Donald Trump. Try being, being just an American citizen who celebrates freedom. Try being a Republican, a conservative. The threats, try and be Rand Paul, who was physically attacked on his own lawn by a neighbor. He was physically attacked walking away from that event at the White House, the Rose Garden ceremony they had there back when Trump was president. Capitol Police had to fight off a mob that was physically trying to harm and attack he and his family. Try being any of these people. And yet we got the trans people, the most protected class in America, that is threatening chaos because people make a joke about them. And you don't even have to make a joke about them. You can just say, you know, well, Rachel Levine is a man. Oh my gosh, heads are exploding. Drew, hate speech. Drew, he is, he is harming and endangering. No, you're endangering our whole society and children. You're the pariah. There's no hate towards you, but there's two genders, male and female. If you think that you can cut off something or put on lipstick and become something else, you have a mental illness. That is the truth. And that was totally acceptable forever. And it should be acceptable to say today. But the mob is ruling over us. And this is part of destroying the family. You know, everything's okay. I mean, again, I have to return to this analogy about the alcoholic. You know, alcohol's reputation. You do not encourage. It's like putting up some drunk to publicly give a speech. I mean, we do this anyway with Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, they seem drunk when they're talking, but they don't admit it. But, you know, it's like putting someone out there that's drunk and wasted, throwing up in between words and applauding them and saying, hey, look, we've got the first openly alcoholic this the first openly alcoholic. Yes, yes, we are breaking through barriers. But you know, back to Rachel Levine celebrating this first woman. Isn't it great to see all these men taking jobs from women? I love it. Women will have no place to go but the kitchen soon, just like it used to be. The good old days. (laughs) Making sandwiches. I'm kidding, of course. But that's what's amazing about the whole feminist movement. I don't know what happened to them and where they went. They got lumped in with the LGBTQA plus Z, R, S, X, whatever uh, uh, thing. Did you see also, by the way, that today was International Pronoun Day? (laughs) That's right. Today was International Pronoun Day. So choose your own pronoun. Mine are uh, Let's Go Brandon. Let's Go Brandon. Those are my pronouns. But that's where we are. We're literally creating holidays, you know, like Alcoholic Day, you know. Go out, get wasted, and drive a car drunk. Let's create a day for that. It's the same thing. It's ruinous. But anyway, here they are, the trans people again. They strike again. And, you know, that's what Sarando should have done if he, if he had any cojones and was an actual man of principle 
and wasn't such a coward that was so well concerned with his, uh, I don't know, applause from the media, so insecure that he needed that and he couldn't do the right thing. He would have gone on and said what I just said, you know, that these people have no perspective whatsoever. They're not suffering anything at all. And um, saying that there are only two genders uh, is not nearly as bad as uh, calling concerned parents, for example, domestic terrorists. Uh, No one's saying that about the transgender community. That's being said about parents who want to protect their children. But anyway, I'm going to take a short break. When I get back, we're going to hit uh, this supply chain crisis again. I got some new information for you, an update about uh, more of the reason that we're in this situation here and why nothing will be done to fix it because corruption again and unions. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. And the marathon continues. (laughs) So, you know, last episode I talked a little bit about the root causes of uh, of this disaster supply chain crisis, this absolute nightmare that is going to obviously prohibit families from getting goods that they both need and want and will prove harmful and devastating to the middle class overall and these business owners. And just to, just to, you know, if you're joining for the first time, look, a lot of this is just obvious. A lot of it is just simply a result of locking down an economy. I mean, we went for months and months and months and months and months uh, with, with immense labor shortages which of course resulted in backups and an inability to even produce these goods. And so when things started to be given the green light to open back up again and function at a relatively normal rate, well, you were, you were going to always have this backup. And to be honest though, because these ports are in California, we were always going to have this problem. And this problem under this administration, I just have to tell you, it's not going to get better. There is not a single problem that we're experiencing today, whether it's the supply chain crisis, inflation, labor shortages, illegal immigration, uh, increased criminality and violence in our cities, skyrocketing home prices, home shortages. None of this is going to get better because this administration has as their purpose not only to not not to solve the problem, but to create this problem and make it worse. That's what people have to understand about the Democrat Party. But there's a lesson in what's happening with the supply chain crisis to make this point. Now, to add another element of causation to this crisis is the unions. Now, the unions in this country are corrupt extensions of the Democrat Party. Do you know that 
In the 2020 presidential contest, for example, 98.8% of union money spent went to Joe Biden. That's how corrupt the unions are. 98.8% of union money went to Joe Biden. He's beholden to them. He's bought, paid for, controlled by them. And there's a union, of course, in California. And uh, it's the longshoremen. It's the dock workers. Now, do you know, let me just ask you a question. How much do you think, just give me your best guess, how much do you think, what is the average salary yearly for a dock worker? What do you think, $100,000 a year? $120,000 a year? Try uh, $171,000 a year. Average salary for a dock worker. So let's go back to Joe Biden. Joe Biden, of course, his brilliant solution to solving the supply chain crisis was what? Docks are going to be open. Ports are going to be open 24-7 working. Well, they actually do uh, already work 24-7 at most ports around the world, but not here in California. Do you know why? Well, the union contracts, of course, require paying higher hourly rates for night and weekend labor. And they're already making nearly $200,000 a year. And so they're not going to pay them extra to begin with. And uh, what we have here is an inefficiency problem in California where these container ships are docking and delivering the goods. Let me give you another fun, fun statistic. There's something called the World Bank's Port Performance Index. All right, it measures the efficiency of ports around the entire world. Now, the United States is the world's largest importer. But Los Angeles and Long Beach, which are our country's major ports, guess where they rank? Los Angeles is number 328, and Long Beach is number 333. That means they are horribly inefficient. They're worse than most third world countries. There was not a single U.S. port that made it into the top 50 for speed and efficiency. The the number one ranked port in the world is Yokohama in Japan. Just by the way. So, anyway, these increased hours aren't going to fix the bottlenecks. And and even if they do go 24-7 and pay these dock workers, uh, do, do you know how much they'll boost the movement? Cargo movement? Less than 10%. Less than 10%. It's nothing. It's negligible. Do you know what the real problem is here? We have equipment that is, uh, you know, like a relic from uh, our grandfather's administration, our, our grandfather's generation that they're using. Now, cranes in these automated ports, like you would see in Japan, number one efficiency, well, of course, they operate at least twice as fast as cranes in outdated U.S. ports. So we have this old, decrepit infrastructure that we're using. And why hasn't it been replaced? Because the International Longshoresmen Association has a contract, which extends into 2024. Well, guess what? It blocks the use of automation technology. So 
Willie Adams, this is this is a guy, he's the president of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, all right? He represents West Coast workers, and he has said that automated cargo handling equipment will not be tolerated. And so here we go. And what does Pete Buttigieg say, by the way? He's blaming our dysfunctional ports on being an example of why we need to pass the infrastructure bill. But guess what? Guess what? Do you know what's in the Build Back Better infrastructure, $3.5 trillion, destroy America bill? Well, as I said, Biden is bought, paid for, controlled by the unions. And so in this colossal disaster of a bill, the Build Back Better bill. There's actually a section. It's it's section 30102. And guess what it says? It prohibits the use of funds provided to these ports, prohibits funds from being used for automation. And so there they are again, lying through their teeth. They are not allocating anything for labor-saving automation. Biden is not going to open up the floodgates. He's not going to address this and improve the situation. He's just going to prohibit it by law in the infrastructure bill and make sure that any funds go into the port, they just pad the union boss's pockets, pad the union employee's pockets, and do nothing to actually solve the problem. And that is the dirty little secret that's not a secret to me and that is now no longer a secret to you. We have obsolete ports and they're obsolete because the unions are in control and they'll continue to be obsolete because the Democrat party is in control. And that is why nothing will get better under this administration. Does this not make you miss Donald Trump? If anything, you know, all we hear from this administration are excuses. The buck stops here. Except it's this person's fault, it's Trump's fault, it's this person's fault, it's whatever's fault, but it's never this administration's fault. This administration, again, is not built to solve problems. They don't intend to solve problems. But Donald Trump, you know. I mean, look, this is not even on on uh, Biden's radar. He's not even addressing it. There's no task force unleashed to deal with this. There's no Operation Warp Speed to quickly get vaccines, for example. I mean, Donald Trump, he was criticized because the Biden administration had left them depleted stores and warehouses of PPE gear. And that was supposed to be Donald Trump's fault. And what did Donald Trump do? When New York, for example, said, oh, we're <clears throat> our hospitals are going to be overrun, he sent a ship, a medical ship, off the coast of New York that wasn't even used. Every time... Trump addressed these issues, confronted them head on, and was looking for ways to solve everything. And this juxtaposition should just show you what a great president we actually had for four years. How blessed we were to have somebody that fought back against China. I mean, China developing hypersonic missiles. And this administration's response, as I said in the last episode, is to say what? We welcome the stiff competition. That's what Saki said. Trump would have, would, have, would, have, would have threatened them. 
He would have told them to stop. He would have threatened repercussions to protect America. But we have a government, an administration, and an entire party devoted to our country's destruction. Making friends with our enemies. And making enemies of our friends. This is Drew Allen. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that the my big story as of today, yesterday, is is what? The Biden administration. Wow. They are flying. They're secretly flying underage migrants into New York at night. But this... this, (laughs) Folks, this started under the, the Obama administration with ICE. We had ICE. There was a report even back in 2016. I remember this. I remember this report. The Obama administration spent, you know, almost $20 million to fly unaccompanied children uh, into the interior of our border. They used ICE to do it. They, they were using charter flights. So, th- this isn't news, and it's not even news under this administration. Everyone acts shocked, flabbergasted, outraged. But they've been doing this since March of 2021, March of this year. I mean, they've flown... You know, the, the, the Afghanis, who we don't know who they are. Unidentified Afghanis, who didn't have to provide proof of vaccination, proof that they weren't terrorists, nothing. They just got flown throughout our country as well. The Haitians, the same thing, bust, flown. I mean, I think it was back in May, there was another report even uh, of these migrants being flown into Tennessee. And now what do we have? Wow, a new report. Biden is flying them into our country. I mean, this is the policy. This is the policy. I mean, it's been going on since the Obama years. And, you know, the point of this is one thing. It's very, very, very specific. It's to create a new permanent class of... uh, of voters, eventual voters for the Democratic Party. And you know what? When you have, for example, I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, yeah, they want to, they, the goal is eventually to make them citizens, give them a pathway to citizenship. They already tried to slip this into this Build Back Better plan in secrecy, a pathway to citizenship for these illegals. But they don't really need to become citizens to vote. Not the way we conduct our elections. Not if we do it like we did in 2020, right? I mean, when you have unsolicited mail-in ballots and you have these, uh, uh, you know, uh, automatic registration, right? You get a driver's license. In places like California, you don't even have to be a U.S. citizen to get a driver's license. Well, they ask you if you want to register to vote. They don't ask for your, your status. It's just automatic. And so these people are registered to vote. The ballots are mailed to them. These mail-in ballots are sent to their addresses. 
They fill them out. They don't require signature verification. They don't require proof of ID. None of it. They just get counted. And so that's really what's going on here. And, and, and it is astounding and it must stop. But the Republicans are complicit in all of this. You know, it's interesting. You know, if you go back to 1992, 1992, that's, that's less, still less than 30 years ago. Less than 30 years ago, um, the, the electoral makeup was 90% white people and basically, you know, 10% black and other. And what is shocking is that back in 92, you can go back and listen to pundits talk back then. Uh, they, they, would, they would tell you that uh, Hispanics, people from South America, people from uh, Central America, I should say, and Mexico, they didn't even register in the exit polls. There weren't enough of them <clears throat> to even tally their, the results of their, their votes in the exit polls. And now here we are, less than 30 years later, and I mean, you bet. I mean, they're an entire uh, a group of voters and individuals in this country the Democrat Party is pandering to. And I want to, I want to just get into something in general here. General, but specific and with a point. The goal of everything that's happening right now is, is well, it's intentional. The destruction of the middle class and forcing the majority of the American people to be dependent upon the government is the goal. A permanent underclass. And that could be you too. Let's say you're a middle class business owner. And let's say you lose your job. Let's say you lose your job in the next... Let, let Lose your business, I should say. You're an owner. Let's say you lose your business in the next six months. If you didn't already lose it, in the past six months to a year. And your only source of income becomes the federal government. You depend upon it for survival, and it's become so onerous and impossible to start a new business that your future depends on welfare. What are you going to do and who are you going to vote for if that is your only option in terms of feeding your family they've got you the democrat party has you just like they have the illegals just like they have the other portions of the population who are in the lower class so to speak that depend on a welfare check and that's really the the goal of all this to destroy our economy to destroy the middle class Because the middle class is not beholden to anyone. They can move up and down. They're independent. Their votes and what they do are based on rationality, based on what's best for this country. But if you eliminate those options and you don't have an option to be independent anymore, The only place you'll be able to go is where? The government. That's the sick, sinister point of all of this. And I want to say something else. You see a few brave individuals out there 
in these police departments, for example, like in L.A. City with the police department, the sheriff, they say they're not going to enforce these vaccine mandates. You've got 50% roughly, just to use an example, all right, that, that applies to other places throughout the country. You've got roughly 50% of a fire department, a police department, a sanitation department. But let's focus on the main one, the police department. 50% of those people who are standing up to the vaccine mandates, what do they, what do they believe in their hearts and souls? Where do you think their allegiance lies? Do you think they're pro-government at this point? They're not. They're not. These sheriffs that are saying, we're not going to enforce this, we're not going to arrest people, we're not going to do this because it's wrong, it's discriminatory. Well, they stand in the way of the Democrat Party. And so the upshot of these vaccine mandates is to eliminate, identify and eliminate those individuals who will not do as the totalitarians demand. Those positions will eventually be filled. 50% that remain will have made a decision that their duty is to fulfill unconstitutional, criminal, totalitarian demands irregardless. And the new hirees, including the military, for example, well, the only people that are going to come in and apply for those jobs are going to be individuals who are woke leftists. What we are seeing right now that is the most dangerous thing of all that I don't think enough people realize or are talking about, except for perhaps me right now at this moment, is that the Democrat Party, through these mandates, are creating their own brown shirts. Their own Nazi brown shirts that will do the will and bidding of a tyrannical government that will align themselves ideologically whether through indoctrination or whatever else, with the totalitarians. You will not have police officers who will stand up for what's right. You will only have individuals like you see in Australia with these police officers there that are curb-stomping people who take their masks off in public, that are arresting them. And that's really the sick point of all of this. You know, it's uh, something I think about a lot. You know, I, uh, I have great reverence, for example, for my father, my mother, my family. And they're wonderful people who have instilled in me many of these values I talk about here every day. Um, but we are... The greatest generation, which was the World War II generation that really represented America at her best in recent history, they're gone. We can't speak to them. We can't hear what they have to say. We don't have all their experience going through the Great Depression. We don't have these brave souls who lived without a welfare state who had such, well, they had such principle, principle. They really did 
pick themselves themselves up by their own bootstraps. They weren't dependent upon government. It was a different attitude. And um, we have to rapidly and quickly make sure we sear that ideology in our minds today because that generation's gone and the bridge is our parents. I mean, I'm 34, right? So that's, that's where I'm coming from, our, my parents. And uh, they're the only people we can talk to that are the bridge to the other generation that sacrificed so much and understood freedom and, and were willing to sacrifice their lives for it, that appreciated it. And what we have today with the young people, in particular my generation, are a bunch of fat, happy, indoctrinated, unappreciative, uneducated, especially if they are educated in our universities, they're even more uneducated, that don't understand history, they don't understand what's at stake, they don't understand what makes this country great. And, uh, you know, I, I often think, you know, one of, my, one of my great heroes, apart from my father, was uh, Byron Nelson. Byron Nelson, uh, the golfer, the golf great, the giant. He was my cousin. And, uh, you know, his, his mother's name was Madge Allen. My last name is Allen. So he was my, my dad's second cousin, and I called him Uncle Byron growing up. And he passed away in 2006. I'm not going to get into his entire life story, but it's a story, it's an underdog story. A story of a man who was a strong Christian, a principled man. I'll tell you one story about Byron. You know, uh, his family didn't even want him to play golf because at the time he had a bad reputation for drinking, smoking, gambling, and he couldn't really make a living doing it. It's like, it's like people who want to be actors today, which I can relate to as well because I did that. But uh, they didn't want him to do it. And uh, he, was, he was opposed. He was ahead of his time. He, was not, not a, 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 he did not endorse smoking in his personal life. He understood it wasn't healthy. Even though, you know, people around him like Ben Hogan were, were constant smokers, chain smokers even. But Byron didn't ever do any of that. Well, he was young, early, uh, early in the years in the tour, uh, when he was struggling, and he, he won the Metropolitan Open in New York. That was the first uh, major tournament that got him some, some attention from the newspapers and the sports journalists. And he won it, and a, and a fella came to him from, I think it was called Ten Grand Cigarettes. And they offered him an endorsement deal. I forget what the exact figure was. I think they offered him $300, which even then wasn't a ton of money, but it was a decent amount of money, especially when you consider that, you know, he had relatively nothing. And that was a, a, a lot of money to him at that time. And so he was hesitant about it, but the guy said, look, you know, you don't have to endorse smoking. You just have to, we have to, you know, we'll just say that you said, and agree that there's you know less tar and so on and so forth in these cigarettes. And Byron just said, okay. Well, these uh, it was for advertisements, right? Newspapers. So these ads started coming out in these newspapers for 10 grand cigarettes. <laughs> you know, with, with it saying, Byron Nelson, you know, says, you know, the, these cigarettes have the lowest tar or whatever. And he started getting letters written to him from, from, uh, from Sunday school teachers around the country and other parents and other fans that had started to follow him. And they said how disappointed they were in Byron. You know, they was beholden to the almighty dollar for doing this. And he had, 
you know, it wasn't a man of principle anymore. And so Byron got on the phone <laughs> and he, he called, he called, you know, the, the company and he said, Hey, please do whatever you can. Just, I, I stop running the ads. I'll give you all the money back. And, and of course they wouldn't do it in the end. They said, you know, you signed a contract and whatever. So he had, but he learned a lesson there, you know, even with cigarettes, with a little advertising, a little endorsement there, which, you know, today, I mean, that's, you know, whatever. People do endorsements for far worse things and make more money for it. But a Byron, Byron promised then he would never do anything like that again. He learned his lesson. He was such a man of principle. He tried to give all the money back and get out of it. He just couldn't get out of it. But he realized at that moment that he was, uh, whether he wanted to be or not, he was influential. That his decisions and his public uh, perception had an impact on other people. And anyway, that's just an anecdotal story I share with you because I admire him so much. But he's somebody that I want to sit down with and I'd love to talk to you about the issues today. To hear what this man, about as close as you can get as a human being, a flawed human being to Jesus Christ, as close to that as you could be, was. And I, I can't talk to him. He's not here. He's not here. And so whatever lessons we haven't already gotten from these past generations, we better educate ourselves quickly and do some gut checks and understand what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do and also what we're willing to do to protect this country. Because this country is not the country that Byron Nelson grew up in. This is not the country even my father grew up in. This is not the country that I grew up in. That's how fast and rapid our decline is. Anyway, this is Drew Allen. Until next time. I'm a little bit angry.